business and people. Your host, Walt Bayless. Let's get this show started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Business and People podcast where we talk to the people in business and we find out their stories. I'm your host, Walt Bayless. Today, I am in the presence of greatness. We have with us on the show someone who at 26 years old was appointed as CEO of an international Rockefeller Association overseeing projects across 20 countries. Two years later, at just 28 years old, Inc. Magazine named him as one of America's up-and-coming young business leaders. He's the author of five books. He's been named alongside of Sergey Brin and Larry Page of Google and Jeff Bezos of Amazon as one of the world's top 50 leaders. In fact, I could keep going on, but I think the 30 minutes of our show would be filled with John's accolades. It is my pleasure, my honor to introduce the man who consumes more than 100 business books a year and is one of the world's greatest leaders of business and speakers around the world, Mr. John Spence. Thank you so much for joining me, man. It's my honor. It's my pleasure. You are way too kind. I need to, that was really nice of you. It's so easy to, to, to rattle that off. But wow, when I look at what you've achieved in your, in your short span on this planet, man, I, I'm just, I'm just, I don't have enough time to list through everything you've done. This has been a, a pretty amazing journey for you, John. Yeah, well, it didn't start out that way. It started with utter failure. <laughs> Tell me about that. I, um, that was interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, um, I grew up in Miami, Florida, and my father was a very famous uh, lawyer, uh, malpractice attorney, and I went to one of the top prep schools in America, did very well, uh, got admitted to a lot of different universities, and I chose the University of Miami there in Florida because it was close to my boat and my girlfriend, <laughs> which is not why you should choose <laughs> university. choices right there. Yeah, which is why I failed out uh, about uh, a year later. But the bad thing was, not that was bad enough, but the worst thing is the University of Miami, my dad was one of the top alumni ever to graduate from that university. He would have been um, The year I got kicked, oh, that gets better. The year I got kicked out, he was on the board of directors of the university, and there's a building in the law school named after him. Oh, awesome. So, yeah. Let's just say dad wasn't happy about that. Okay. And I had to restart college, and I went to what in America we call a community college, which is pretty much if you have a pulse, they have to let you in. Um, did okay there, worked through it, and eventually made it to the University of Florida, where I live now in Gainesville, Florida, and graduated number three in the entire United States. And that's how I got to the Rockefeller Foundation. But it all started with, uh, and you and I were chatting before we started that you said everybody has usually a triggering event. My triggering event is when I came up from uh, Miami to Gainesville, it's about six hours away, and I'm at the university and I'm handing the woman my transcripts. Just, you know, going, I want to transfer here. I really want to go. And she looked at me and she goes, <laughs> we don't take people like you. Ooh. Next. And it was that word when she said next. And I was like, oh, she goes, next. And I had to step out of line. I walked outside, sat on the stairs and started to cry and realized wow. that I was about to throw my life away, that I had dreams of being a CEO and traveling all over the world and all that stuff. And that I uh, was and no one else was going to fix it for me. I messed it all up. And that's when I began my, began my journey of trying to understand how successful people work, reading, studying, getting mentors. Uh, wow. The thing that got me through university was I started a study group, which would basically be a mastermind group. And there were six of us, and we graduated number one through six from our college in the university. Wow. Uh, so I, I learned that uh, the most important thing I've ever learned in my life was from that. It is you become what you focus on and like the people you spend time with. 
Oh my lord, that's incredible! So, so that day, like, take me that day. You, you're standing there. I really want to transfer here. She laughs. She says, "We don't take people like you." Next, you walk outside yeah. and cry, yeah. and your life changes then because you make that decision. What were your next steps, John? Like, what did you do about that situation? So, great question. Uh, I, as I said, I realized that no one was going to help me. My father basically disowned me didn't want to see me again. Um, I only had a few friends here where I lived. I actually moved in and lived under one of my friend's bed in his apartment. We put his bed up on blocks so I could sleep underneath it because I had really had no money. Uh, and what I did is I just decided I would go to school on this stuff. I, I, I didn't even know if I'd ever get admitted into college. When I went to the community college, they let me in on probation. And, and that's really <laughs> low expectations for a community college. Yeah. Uh, but I just decided I'd become a fanatic. I would study everything. That's when I started listening to tapes, reading wow. books, reading, you know, in the old days, Zig Ziglar and yeah. Napoleon Hill and on and on and on. And then I started asking the second most important thing I've ever learned is I started asking everybody for help. Wow. You know, a lot of people think it's weak to ask for help. I realized that if you surround it's yourself with strength. smart people and just constantly ask for help, input, feedback, advice, life becomes a lot easier because you have this big team of people you're working with to help all of you be successful. I found in, in just even in this last six or eight months running this podcast, I found that the people who are able to help are so willing to do so. Absolutely. And I, find that, I find that so incredible. Like you think about these amazing successful people and what they've been able to put together in their lives. And there's that, there's that moment where you go, oh, look at them, they're so amazing. And do you know what? It, when, you, when you have that, I love there's a quote in a movie that my kids love called We Bought a Zoo and, and the quote from Matt Damon where he says, sometimes in life you just need 20 seconds of pure courage. And if you've got that 20 seconds of pure courage to walk up to someone and say, hey, I love what you've done. Um, I've, I'm in this position. Can I ask for your advice? I am uh, amazed and uh, so enthused by the fact that people in the positions are so giving of their time. Well, it's, a, it's amazing to me. I mean, I, I've obviously gone fairly well in my career, but early in my career, I'd read a book by somebody and love it. So I would send them an email and say, I read your book, this, that, and the other. Fast forward 15 years, some of them are really close friends. I mean, some of the authors I looked up to when I was early in my career, who I thought were basically just gods. Now we're on the phone chatting, helping each other out, doing stuff, writing books together. And I think to myself that never never would have happened if I hadn't just picked up the phone or sent an email and said, I'm impressed with what you do and I want to get to know you better. Wow. So, so cool. Yeah. John, can I ask you a really personal question? How's things with your sure. dad now? They never went well. Never went uh, well. He, No, they never really got fixed up. He, my father was extremely competitive. I actually got kicked out of my house when I was 16 years old because my, my dad saw me as a challenge. Yeah. Uh, I had straight A's, captain of the football, blah, 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 blah. And he liked being the alpha male on the house. So um, he actually kicked me out when I was still in high school. And you got to realize my father was on the cover of the Wall Street Journal, and one of the, he was the wealthiest lawyer in America wow. at that time. So when did you realize that you were your own person? Uh, right then. Right I then, realized at that, that point. Yeah, right then when I realized that there, he wasn't going to fix it, no one was going to fix it, wow. I was going to have to fix it, and it was totally up to me. You know, it's, it's interesting, and, and I, I don't want to talk too much because I've got John Spence on the line with me, and I want you to talk. I was in New Zealand, 
funny how that the, the times cross over. I was, I'd just been promoted. So I was working a job at the time and I'd just been promoted. I was 24, 25 years old. And I was on a, a like the first time I'd been promoted to a hundred thousand dollar a year salary. And I was in charge of a six and a half million dollar department. And I was 24 years old. I, I kind of left home when I was 18 and still a young man. I, I, I jumped on the phone. I, you know, I called, I called mom. What else do you do? I called mom. And I'm standing in the middle of this hotel, right? And I said, Mom, you'd never believe it. I've just got a job where the salary is $100,000 a year, right? I'm tearing up as I'm saying this. And my mom, <laughs> responds, my mom responds to me and she says, what could you ever do to be worth that much money? Whoa. And, and I, I've, I've never spoken about money with my parents since that day. But I hung up the phone and th- th- my point here, John, my point and my reason for asking you about your dad, because your career now is incredibly successful, right? And you mm. didn't need it. You didn't need his validation to do what you've done. And I just like, I, I meet so many people, John, who are still in the shadows of their parents, desperate for the approval and I'm not saying that there's no love there between the family or whatever. What I'm saying is you don't need it. You are your own person to achieve your own things in life, put down the phone and get to work. Like it just, to me, it's a, it's a big thing to make me feel like you were able to massively accelerate everything that you did because you got knocked down and said, you know what? I'm the one that's going to fix it. And you were well, able to two take things. that from there. Go ahead. No, you were able to take that from there. And I just, there's, I really there's, there's two things message. that happen there. Um, one thing is fast forward to today. I recently took uh, a test on self-competitiveness and I literally broke the scale. Nice. The woman said, I've been doing this 20 years. I've never seen a score like yours. You're the highest score we've ever seen in self-competitiveness. And I'm like, you come back yes, and say, I'm going to be number one. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, you don't want to be number one on this. I, go, I have the highest score ever. Right. I am the best at this. She's like, oh, you're an idiot. (laughs) She's like, you don't understand. You just, you know, and I'm, but that, that lesson, that situation with my father, instead of me competing against other people or him or anyone else, I went inside and said, I'm just going to try to be better than I was yesterday. And I have a bit, I'm not competitive against other people at all. I wish them success and happiness. And if they crush me, that's great. I just don't want, I don't want to let myself down. Yeah. Now, the other part of that with being your own person, you work with a lot of CEOs and people like that. I also find that a lot of us wake up in the middle of the night and go, when are they going to figure out I have no idea what the hell I'm doing? Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the Absolutely. imposter syndrome. So true. And and you know what? Like, uh, we, we all battle with that at some point. And it, it took me a long time. I still battle with that. I'm still like, really? Me? Too. me? You know, are you, are you joking me? And, and we listed some amazing business people. We listed Sergey Brin and Larry Page and, and Jeff Bezos. And I, I don't know these gentlemen, but I'm sure that they have the same thing. But you oh, know, when I made the list, I went, somebody obviously didn't know who I was. <laughs> I mean, I didn't spell Spence with an E at the end. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that was that guy Spencer. Oh, that's you right. Wrong guy. <laughs> so, hey, John. Yes. How do you... Get, how do you how, why do you think that amazing success still occurs with people who feel like they perhaps are like, how did the hell did I get here? How, why do you think they're still successful? I coach a lot of CEOs, a lot. And having been one at a young age, uh, I think all of us are fearful that we're, not, that we're not good enough to do this, that we don't know what we're doing. I don't think a lot of people realize that you don't, you don't know what you don't know. 
and everybody had a first day on the job. Yeah, I mean, right. you know, Bill Gates and everybody else and Sergey Brinley, there was a day that they woke up one day and then they woke up another day and they had 100 employees. They never had 100. Then yeah. they had 1,000 and 10,000. So there's always this thing of, you know, when will they figure out that I'm making this up as I'm going along? And as soon as you figure out that we're all making this up as we go along, it's okay. Now, I know that you speak a lot on leadership. So let's drill into that for a second because sure. CEO, like, let's, let's take the scenario, you're a CEO, you've got that, hey, really, am I the CEO? I've got 30 employees. How did that happen? So you've got that kind of imposter syndrome. And the, the feeling is, well, do you know what? I've still got to go to work tomorrow and we're still going to do what we need to do and I'm going to work it out on the way. I'm going to learn as I go. When you talk about leadership, how does the development of leadership help people be able to, to get past that imposter syndrome and lead teams forward to be able to achieve what they want to achieve? How does that really, that skill set of leadership help them move that, that, uh, that barrier? Wow, that's a really good question. So as I listen to you, I'm thinking about a couple of things. I think the good leaders, uh, they realize that they're going to have to be uh, push themselves for lifelong learning. That yeah. they can't coast, they're constantly going to have to get better if they want the organization to get better. Number two, and it's my definition of success, is when you become a living example of what you hope your followers will one day become. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people think leadership is title position and everything. Leadership is really, really hard. Um, I remember when I was running one of my companies, I would lay at night and in bed at night worrying about the 300 kids I had to put through college. Yeah. And like, I don't even have kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's this huge responsibility. responsibility. And with that, I realized, I mean, that's one of the reasons I love leading is it, it, it forces me to be a better person than I actually am um, I because that. I have to live up to the expectations of my team and, and try to help them be successful. Uh, and then I also think that that the skill set is honed through through uh, chaos, through crisis. Yep. That you just you don't learn how strong you can be until something really big happens and everybody looks at you and says, well, what are we going to do? Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's living through a couple of those successfully that you say, "Yeah, maybe I can do this." Can do you know, so far, so good. There's always that always seems to be the person that everyone t- turns to in a crisis, you know. And we define that person as the leader, and and quite often they don't define themselves that way. But it's when they step forward and you look behind you and you realize that the people you're with have come the same step, and you go, "Whoa." Now that, you know, and, and, and then the panic sets in and I've got to actually fill that position. <laughs> we've, talked, we've talked already multiple times about the uh, continual development and continual education. Before we clicked on record, one of the things I loved about your bio is that you consume a, at least 100 business books a year. I'm looking at the bookshelf behind you. You mentioned that that's one of 11 that you have over 2,000 books in the house. When yeah, this is my office. Yeah, nice. When, when I've got another 1,000 at the house. <laughs> Beautiful. When we're talking about this continual development and continual education, how do you how do you make time for that? How do you prioritize it? How do you make that a a structured part of your life? Okay, so let's do something fun here for a second. We'll back up. I just gave a TED talk on the future of leadership, mm. and I looked at it. And I, I, when my wife and I actually, my wife helped me a great deal with this. She's very brilliant. Uh, we identify three quotients that you're going to need to be successful as a leader in the future. IQ, EQ, and AQ. IQ, basically competence. Um, This doesn't make my IQ any better, but what it does is it gives me access to information. Mm. Um, One of the ways I became CEO of the Rockefeller Foundation when I was so young is I would sit in meetings and people, 
I had four billionaires on my board. Everyone else was worth more than $100 million. And they would say, anybody have an idea? And I go, well, you know, I read a book about this. And I said, listen to a tape and blah, blah, blah. And one of the billionaires go, I love John's ideas. Let's go with it. I'm like, they weren't my ideas. But <laughs> by oh, so it's active, right? Yeah, you, now, your IQ can go up a little bit. It can also go down if you you know spend too much of the time at the bar there. Yeah. But um, this doesn't make me smart. It gives me access to so competence. Uh, and I, I'll give you a, a quick statistic on that. How many books do you think the average college or university graduate reads per year for self-improvement or business improvement? To get better at communications or conflict resolution or leadership or sales, or whatever it might be, per year after they graduate from university? Zero. Point five. Wow. Point five. If you were to read six books a year, you'd be number one in the country, in the top 1% in the country you live in. Top 1% in Australia, top 1% in the United States. Uh, if you read 12 books a year, one a month, you're in the top 1% on the face of the earth. And it isn't just books now, it's podcasts. I'm a fanatic for podcasts, YouTube videos, uh, all the different ways. So number one is IQ, competency. Number two is EQ, your emotional quotient, which we're finding out now is as important or more important than IQ. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing a big speech on the future of leadership to 400 CEOs day after tomorrow. And one of the things I'm talking about is soft skills is now the hard stuff, the really difficult, challenging things. And no matter how advanced computers get, they never have empathy. So the ability to make genuine connections with other people, EQ, which, by the way, on that same test with self-competitiveness, I also got one of the lowest scores they've ever seen on EQ. Yeah. So <laughs> we, and then the third one is... Yeah. yeah, she said, your, your score in EQ is terrible. Like, ah, who cares? Uh, <laughs> I'm not competitive. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, all I, I got self-competitives, right? I'm number one. That's all I need That's to know. That's so sweet. I've done. The third one, though, is really the cool one, AQ, which stands for your adaptability or agility quotient. Wow. And I believe strongly that this is going to be the most important quotient going forward, that with the speed of technology, the amount of information available, Folks who can, you know, pick up new ideas, throw away old ideas that didn't work, change their frame of reference, um, look at what I call the adjacent new, take an idea you know real well, put a new idea you never thought of next to it, they boom, they hit each other, they like each other, what do you got a little baby idea? The creativity seems to be the number one soft skill that uh, CEOs are looking for worldwide, and creativity is a combination of those three things. Wow. But I ache you, keep an eye on it. That's the one that I'm really enamored with. So as we go back to the leadership question, I think that's another thing that great leaders do is they have the ability to be fast, agile, nimble, focused, and move things forward. Do you think it's a learnable skill? I think it's um, – we used to do this when I went fishing. Is it good luck or skill? I think it's a chain of both. Yeah. I think it's some natural ability and learning. Um, I think some people have a natural ability to be comfortable in front of groups. Maybe they're a little bit more charismatic. That helps them out a little bit. There's plenty of – very successful leaders who are not charismatic. But so I, my opinion would be probably, it's probably 80% learnable if you're willing to do the work. That's the big one. Sure, There's sure. a lot of people that want to be leaders, but they're not willing to do the work and spend the time and take the effort and take the, uh, what's the word I want, the pressure that leading a bunch of people uh, can cause someone to have. Mm. You mentioned before, like uh, laying awake at night, thinking of the 300 kids you got to put through college, the responsibility. And that's, that's scary for a lot of people. But um, for anybody that's listening, like if, if you're feeling that, my, my only thought, and John, I'm keen for your feedback on this. My only thought on that is you will do the best you can for those people. And if you don't make it or if they are not achieving their goals of putting their kids through college, 
being on your team, then they will leave. And that's expensive and whatever. And we don't want that to happen. But, but all I can tell you, if you're listening, is that you've got the ability to take those 300 people and the kids through college. And I, I know that you will do the best you can. And if you don't make it, they will still be okay. So get on with the job and get it done. Yeah, and, and well, the other side of that is what a joy, what, a, what an amazing privilege to, to help people. I mean, to see them buy a new house or buy a car or put their kids through college and say, I was working together, we were able to do that together, and you created a better life because we created this great organization. I mean, at the other side, it's why I do what I do for a living now. Yeah, I've dedicated my life to helping businesses and people be more successful. I see myself as someone who has this giant keychain I've collected over 30 years of doing this all over the world. And I've, I've run into people who can't get through a door. Yeah, right. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on. Here, there you go. What, what an amazing opportunity. What a joy. What an honor it is to be able to help people move to a new stage in their lives. And absolutely. that's what leaders get to do every day. Which is, which is absolutely fascinating. And I love the fact that, that entrepreneurs really are the drivers from an economy point of view, from you know, being able to create that life change. I've talked to many guests about that ripple in the pond effect. When your idea, when you're sitting there and the courage to take it forward has so many ripples. You know, we're talking about the families that you're impacting and the customers that you're, that you're working with you know, and the teams that you're growing. You're putting their kids through college. You ripple, 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 ripple through so many things. By being an entrepreneur and having that courage, to step forward. John, what do you think it takes to, to succeed in, as an entrepreneur? Wow, that's a great question. Um, passion, obviously, tremendous amount of passion. Um, skills, you got to be competent. We, we can look at um, in uh, Jim, Jim Collins, good to great. He had the three circles of the hedgehog concept. Got to be deeply passionate about something you're highly skilled at with that third one with an entrepreneur that people are willing to pay for. Yep. I mean, lots of people that are passionate and skilled, but no one will pay for it. That's called a hobby. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of courage because you're going you're gonna to go to places that no one else has been before. You're going to make uh, risky bets. Uh, and then the other thing I think is important, which most people would think of is focus, is being able to pick something and say, I'm going to be the best in the world at that. I'm going to take this and I'm going to grow it. And being able to put on blinders at some level and not do shiny, you know, red ball squirrel thing all the time, but say, I'm going to make this world class, then I'll pick this up and make this world class, then this world class. I think I do a lot of work on strategy. And one of the most important things I've ever learned is one of the greatest things great strategic thinkers do is figure out what to say no to. Wow, interesting. Do you find yeah. that? Do you find that that's a trap for business owners and entrepreneurs that they they are filling their calendar with fluff? In the, you know, I don't mean that to be in a bad way, but are they are they saying yes to too many things? Are they uh, are they distracted in the experience that you've had? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Most of them are. Well, here here's the work I do when I you know I do a lot of training and coaching and you know, speech stuff. But when I get to work with CEOs, one of the first things I'll do is say, let's sit down and write out an ideal proportionate of your time. You know, what is the stuff that only you can do? Only the places you add value. Where's the stuff where you're going to have the biggest impact, where you're going to change the company, or it's going to be great, it aligns with your values, your life, whatever. And let's write out how that time would look. And then I ask them to, to track their time for two weeks, and they start to cry. Yeah. Because they come back and realize how I spend my time isn't anywhere close how I should be spending my time. And the key to that is being able to say no. Wow. No, I can't do that. Let me delegate this. No, that doesn't meet my values. No, that isn't what's going to be best for the company. Mm. Um, really, really hard. And I think a lot of people have a, a big challenge doing that because that they don't achieve the level of success, which, by the way, 
I want to define terms there. Um, I do not look at success as money, fame, or power. I work for some very rich, famous, powerful people that I would not consider super successful. Mm. My definition of success is when your self-concept and your core values are in harmony with your daily actions and behaviors. In other words, when you thought deeply about the kind of person you want to be, the values you have, and you got a clear picture in your mind of the kind of life you'd like to live, and you actually do that. Now, whether you become rich, famous, and powerful and have a private island in the Bahamas, that's great. If you have none of that, but you get up every day and you're living your values and you're having fun, and you're, it, it, that to me is highly successful. Isn't that interesting? So a lot of people are unwilling to pay the price to if they want to achieve it at a very high level from a financial or a business standpoint. That is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> it it's, it's, takes a lot of work. You know, there's a lot of people that that are um, that have that idea. They have a spark. They have something, you know, inside them. And and yet tomorrow morning they're on the motorway heading to work, and they've got an hour commute before they get to a job that they hate. What's what do you find is the the best way that somebody in that position can can knuckle up and 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 make something move forward? Like we're talking to the next entrepreneur, the person who who really thinks that they they have something super special, but but they have commitments and they have all of this stuff to get past before they can make that impact in the world. What would you do with that person and take them and say, step one, step two, step three? Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to approach it the way other people would is I would tell them to go out and, and, and figure out, is this something that people will buy? Yep. You, you, you know, approach it exactly it. the way that we've heard before. Yeah. Is, is test the market. First of all, do a ton of research. I, I do a lot of work with startup companies in my community. I, I volunteer and stuff. And I can't tell you how many times I'll come up and say, I'm the only in the world, the only one in the world that's going to do this. I'm like, Google it, brother. I was going to say, <laughs> there, that there are 50 other companies that are doing this already. Yeah. Oh, no, there's not. I'm like, you know, you're going to start a company and you didn't take the time to spend two weeks. I'm not kidding. Two weeks researching it, studying it, looking at patents, looking at um, uh, corresponding industries, who your competition would be, how you differentiate yourself, how you go to market, and then actually go out and theoretically go get someone to write you a check for it or see if they would. I mean, vaporware that you're in software. That's what yep. you do. You say, Hey, I've delivered this great thing. And then somebody buys it. You go, Oh, so is there a real market? I mean, dreams are great. I love ideas. They're fun. But if, if nobody pays for it, that's a really painful way to, to live your life. Yeah, definitely. And and you would know as many startups that have gone broke chasing that that passion that nobody pays for. And and I've told the story before. We we chased a passion and and uh, without the research, we we blew half a million dollars before we found out that hey, you know, we could have had this thing open two years ago with something that other people actually really wanted. Um, so the <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a common story. But been there, done that. You, Got you that T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. You were talking before about the the, the three circles from an entrepreneur's perspective and, yeah. and with that third one being having something that people will pay for. And if you don't yeah. have that, you've, you've just got a hobby. But one of the things that that, that first circle that you mentioned is passion. So yeah. I found this fascinating. And, and again, I'm keen for your take on this, John. I found it fascinating that the passion doesn't necessarily have to be about the product. It has to be about the life you want to lead. So in other words, if we're really passionate about creating the next ABC widget, and it turns out that the market doesn't really want the ABC widget. But what you were really trying to do was achieve freedom for yourself and your family and create something amazing. Then pivoting away from the ABC widget is not as important as keeping focused on the end goal of creating something in life that's going to be of value and, and you know, changing your direction. How's your thought pattern there? Because if you've got the, the, the best ABC widget in the world, 
and you're completely passionate about it, but nobody wants to buy it, where do you go? Okay, so I'm not in full agreement with you. Tell me. I think that the passion should be in serving people and helping them. And if you find an area where they need help and you're deeply passionate about helping them and it's it. And then one of the ways I like to say it is the bigger the paycheck, the bigger the problem. Yep. If you're either helping people solve a very big problem and you're adding a lot of value to them, they're willing to write you a big check or you want to become a billionaire, help a billion people accomplish something for $1. Yep. But to me, it's all about service and helping people. And if your goal is to change people's lives in a positive way, take away something that's painful to them, allow them to achieve something they want to achieve, but truly through your product or service, their life is better, then if you're passionate about that, you'll figure out how to make the widget do that. I love it. You'll figure out how to, can, how to get people on your team to help you with that. I can hear Zig Ziglar talking. So when you were sleeping <laughs> under that bed of your college roommate, um, you, you said you, you, you tapped into some of the, the old wisdom out there. Um, you mentioned Zig Ziglar and you mentioned uh, Victor Frankl and, and these kind of guys. Was there, a, was there a particular media that you just went over and over and over and over and over again that changed your mindset for the future? So two things. Before we get off, I do want to share with you what I call my formula for business excellence because it's that. 30 years of all that, all of this combined down it. But, you know, I, and I have a really funny story about this. I'll tell it quickly. Please. When I when I got into the Rockefeller Foundation, I was 20, you know, 24 years old, Kim C. at 26. I had no idea what I was doing. And at that particular time, Tom Peters, uh, do, you, do you remember who he is? No, I had no idea. See, that's hilarious. He was, at the time, I'm 55. I was looking for books. When I, when I went into to, uh, in profession, he was the most famous business consultant in the world. Wow. Wrote uh, a book called In Search of Excellence. Okay. And I got that book, and I read it and reread it and reread it, and I started to go apply it in my job, and it worked. Uh, I was too naive not to know it. And I became a huge fan of his stuff. And I actually ended up on a flight with him to, I think it was Singapore, many years, about 10 years ago, and we're chatting. And he said, so what do you want to do? I go, actually, I'm, I kind of do what you do. And my job is to be as good as you. And he kind of <laughs> chuckled, you know, that's nice. Two years ago, there's a thing called the Thinkers 50, which is the top 50, you know, management experts in the world. Um, I was nominated for the top eight in the, in, I forget what it was, some leadership idea thing. Sitting next to me at the table is who? Tom Peters. Tom Peters getting his Lifetime Achievement Award. And I reminded him of the story and he looked at me and goes, you did it. And then he sent me a hand-signed leather-bound edition. So that was fun. But that was the guy that I – there's a couple like that. And you said, you know, uh, Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn and things like that, Napoleon Hill. But t there's a couple now, too, that I just follow that I'm fanatical about everything they put out. Amazing. Do you know, you, you used a phrase there, mate, which was um, you're too naive to know anything different. And isn't that incredible when you got the wisdom, like, look, again, looking behind you, if anybody's watching this on the video, looking behind you, the bookshelf is impressive. You've got the wisdom that's been laid out before you. And yet so many of us, and I say us, so many of us, you go, yeah, but yeah, that's okay for him, but it won't work for me. Whereas that wisdom was put in place because of experience and knowledge, like at least to have the opportunity to, to absorb it and try it and move forward. And if it's no good, discard it and move on to the next one. But let the wisdom sink in. Like, let it actually be absorbed. Yeah, I had a really unique experience at, at, with the Rockefellers. As Mr. Rockefeller, when he, when he made me CEO, knew that I was young and naive and hadn't done this before. 
So he assigned his right-hand man, a guy named Charlie Owen, uh, to mentor me. And Charlie was like his attorney, his accountant, his counselor all rolled into one. And here how, here's how Charlie would do it. And this has got my book stuff. He would walk into my office every, mon- every Monday, take a book, put it down on the table and say, I'll see you Friday for lunch. And on Friday, I had to make a book report, tell him everything I'd learned. And then he would ask me this question. What are three things you're going to apply out of what you just learned? I would tell him he would write them down. He would look at him and goes, you're now going to be held responsible for doing those in your job. Here's another book. So what an incredible mentor. That's that's so very cool. And the the wisdom was one thing, but the wisdom to the action was what changed everything. It's nice you read the book, John. What are you going to do differently now? And now I'm going to hold you accountable. I think that's one of the big things that changed my life. Uh, It's not just read the book. It's read it, figure out what to apply, apply it, and then go forward. Wow, that's incredible. Do you do that for others? Do you put that same uh, framework? Oh, yeah. When I, when I mentor people, when I, I, my CEOs I coach, and I coach a couple of CEOs from billion-dollar companies, I assign them reading. Fantastic. <laughs> I, I have two coaching calls today. I'm like, so did you read your homework? Yeah, I got my homework done. And, uh, but, and it, what it is, another reason I do that is if I'm coaching someone and they don't like an idea, we can talk about the author instead of me versus them. I don't like this idea. Like my client said, I don't like the Oprah Winfrey video. Yeah. This is just, we were talking about that earlier. Yeah. Don't like it. Okay, great. Why? Instead of me bringing an idea, I go, I don't agree with you, which wow. is fine. But I'd rather have a third party that we can both, we can be uh, aggressive around the idea without being aggressive with each other. That's fantastic. That literally takes away the tension of the of the disagreement. And, you know, while you're talking there, I'm seeing to myself domestic situations and whatever. If you take the the personal side of it away and just focus on the idea and being able to um, rationally discuss the idea without you know being connected to the person, then there's a lot of a lot less arguments, a lot of a lot of less a uh, lot more joy that would be around. Well, it's one of the ways that I teach companies to have more accountability is make by bi- make binary goals, KPIs. You know, they're they're black and white. They're yes or no. You got it or you didn't. There's no guessing. You either sold three million this month or you didn't. Yeah. I still like you. I think you're a great guy. We'll go out and have a beer later, but you owe me another two hundred or another fifty thousand bucks or whatever to make your goal. You're okay. You just didn't meet the agreed upon goal. So clear expectations, lots of communications, tracking. And then setting it up in a way that's never me versus you. It's always me and you together as a team trying to trying to make you sure you achieve your goal. That's leadership. It is. And it's uh, it's also if, you, if I looked at companies around the world that I work with, the three biggest problems I see right now are lack of a vivid, compelling and well communicated vision and strategy for growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is courageous communication. And number three, which is actually the biggest one is lack of disciplined execution and accountability. Yep. There's no shortage of really bright people with great product services that are geniuses. There's a huge shortage of people that could take those ideas and execute them with discipline. And do you think if we took that and we, we used that as our mantra and we said, you want to succeed? Cool. Put your signature here and stand up to what you promise. You know, do you think that we're going to see some growth just pushing that message? Absolutely. With the right people, yes. Me too. Which is that we'll figure out who the right people are. Yeah, absolutely. John, tell me about the the um, the core that you were going to say. The the thirty. So, years of- all this work, I, I wrote a book called Awesomely Simple. Not plugging the book, but after I got done with it, I put it through this special software program called Wordle, and it takes out all the stuff and it finds the pattern, which is basically what I built my entire career on: pattern recognition. 
Wow. Here's the patterns of how great companies work, how great leaders work, how great teams work. So I took all that and I boiled it down to what I call my formula for business excellence. Four things that I believe every entrepreneur must focus on to, to build and sustain a world-class company. Here they are. First one is talent. Um, I'm going to make this clear. The entire success of your company, no matter what you do, is 100% dependent on the quality of the people that you can get, grow, and keep on your team, which means to me that talent acquisition, talent development, talent retention should then be a strategic objective that yeah. you spend time, money, people, and invest in. Yeah. Talent. The next one is culture. Um, and it's one of the things that attracts top talent. And in many organizations, culture is the biggest place for either improvement or failure. Um, they might be able to get a little bit more efficiency, buy a new machine, you know, speed up their website loading or whatever. But if you want to see a company really take off, it's when your employees get more engaged, dedicated, committed, and want to see the company succeed. The reverse is a really bad culture can drive you to bankruptcy pretty quick. Mm. Uh, number three is extreme customer focus. Talent, culture, extreme customer focus. One of my favorite sayings is whoever owns the voice of the customer owns the marketplace. And most organizations I work with do not do anywhere close to as good a job of truly understanding their customer as well as they could. And they don't realize that's a huge, huge uh, differentiator and a, and a competitive advantage. Then the last thing is you take those three and you multiply it by disciplined execution. Because those three are nice, talent, culture, customer focus. But if you don't follow through on it with discipline consistently, then there's no way to keep consistent success in your organization. Wow. 30 years of wisdom in four bullet points. <laughs> I, I can't pick anything wrong with that, mate. Um, that's, that's, that's an impressive, uh, impressive list to go through. What's next for you, John? Where are you headed? Uh, you mean in my career or just yeah, like what's, normal travel? What, well, I, I know you travel 200 nights of the year, which, are, which is in, incredible in itself. Um, but no, no, I mean, in terms of for you, when you're looking at the horizon, you're looking at yourself and the companies that you work with. What are you heading for? Uh, I'm making a bit of a shift. I spent a lot of time at the Fortune 100 level, and that's a lot of fun, but you can't make a huge difference, you know, when there's 310,000 employees. Yeah. Um, so I've been working a lot more with medium-sized, small to medium-sized companies where if I can get together with a senior leadership team, together we can make some great decisions and they can make huge strides because it's when there's thousands and thousands of people, it's hard. When there's 400 or 600 or 1,000, it's a lot easier to make big change. And it's very rewarding for me to see a management team or a company take the stuff I help them learn and really make a huge impact to take care of the people that work there and their families. Um, I hadn't done executive coaching for a decade yeah. because I made a big mistake. I used to coach people that were broken and needed help to get fixed. They were about to get fired. Um, now I only coach people who are really, really good and want some them, someone to push them to get better. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing is I'm continuing to go around the world and speak. You mentioned I travel a couple hundred days a year, but I don't have children. And my wife is my business partner and travels with me. So it's a really nice lifestyle business. I've got friends all over Australia. I've got a godson in New Zealand now. Um, and two years ago, we did two full trips around the world in 12 countries. That's amazing. But we always make time to have fun when we're there. It's not gig, gig, gig. It's go in, give a speech, do some training for a company. Do a little coaching, stay for 10 days and go fly fishing. Nice. Is, I was going to say, is that the relaxation? Is fly fishing the, 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 um, the relaxation of choice? Yes. yes. What's the appeal? Um, you can't think about anything else. It's kind of like people play golf. If you're standing in a river with water run real fast, slippery rocks, 
casting, which is hard enough to, you know, a trout that you've got to land it within three inches of their face. Um, you can't be worried about anything else. The only thing you're stressed about is falling down. Other than that, you can't worry about home or finances or people or anything. I learned that a long time ago when I was running a large company. I decided to do a pack trip across the mountains here, and it was through a, an area you couldn't have any mechanical stuff at all, nothing, uh, a, what we, we call a, a wilderness area. Nice. And I had to take my cell phone out of my hand and leave in the car. I came back. The company was running better. And I realized time out there in the woods or time out there fishing actually makes me better at what I do and allows me to help more people because I, I get de-stressed. So Fantastic. it's a great way. Plus, it's beautiful. Trout usually hang out in very beautiful places. Yeah, that, it's funny how they do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've got the choices to do it. I, I was listening to a podcast and um, the name escapes me, which is a shocker. But he was actually talking about that exact same thing, time out. And he, he referenced it in, in a way of, of uh, going to the gym. He was saying, you know, if you go to the gym and you, you work your muscles really hard, at some point they give out. You know, yep. at some point you just, you cannot lift that thing anymore. You, your muscle is just gone, right? And yeah. that's the time when, when the, the elite athletes, they get to that point of failure and then they stop and they don't do that exercise again until the rest has taken place and the muscle comes back stronger. And, and this particular person on the podcast was talking about the exact same thing with your ability to think and your yeah. mind as an entrepreneur is working so hard all the time that you are constantly at that point of pressure of you know of resistance and if at some point you don't stop and rest then that will give out and so the strength of the entrepreneur comes in a way that you can literally work hard until you get to the point and then just go fly fish take it, it and it, turn it off it's interesting because not everybody has that ability. Yeah. Um, I'm very lucky that Kerwin I Ray. have Kerwin Ray. Sorry, two Kerwin skills. Ray. What? Kerwin Ray. I just remember the gentleman. Kerwin Ray. Oh, okay. Credit words to you. I, I don't know how I, I got him, but I have two skills. Number one is I have the ability to completely stop worrying about work. Nice. If I go fly fishing and I go hiking or something like that, it just doesn't exist to me. I put away the computer. I put away. I don't read business books. I just walk away from it. Nice. Number two is when I delegate something away to someone that I trust, it ceases to exist in my world. I don't worry about whether it's going to get done or blah, blah, blah. I gave it to Mercedes. I know she's fantastic. It's yours. Do you have any questions? Do you need help? Anything? Nope. I literally take it off my list. It doesn't exist in the world anymore, yeah. which frees up all my time to, to do the things I'm good at. Yeah. Um, and you asked earlier, how do I keep up on the reading? Uh, when I, I don't watch TV, uh, I, I probably watch maybe an hour of TV a month, just the news or something like that. Um, when I travel, I read the entire time flights and everything else like that. But also I block an hour and a half every morning to go by myself to a small restaurant, have breakfast. I know the staff and I sit in the corner and I've got my uh, iPad and I read for a Harvard business review, Inc, fortune Forbes, a bunch of blogs, everything else every day for a minimum of an hour and a half. Fantastic, mate. Unreal. I think the formula for success, John, that you're laying out for people is incredible. Um, ladies and gentlemen, as you're listening, you can head to johnspence.com. I know that, John, if you click on the link that says books, there's a free ebook that people can download there. They can, they can get in touch with you. Uh, actually, it's uh, not a free one, but that's the Strategies for Success ebook that they can download straight up. And they can also get in touch with uh, some of your other books there, which is awesomely simple and, and uh, letters to a CEO, which, which I personally think are fascinating. Let me add one quick thing. I have a really cool newsletter now, totally free. That's what I was going to come to. It's run by artificial intelligence. Nice. So much yeah, better. It, it, 
when I read an hour and a half every morning, when I find a really cool article, something I love, I post it to my Twitter account. The newsletter pulls down just the articles I personally choose. And then as you read them, it customizes to the stuff that you like best. So let's say wow. you seem to tend to read the leadership stuff more. It'll start taking the stuff about technology out and, and hone it. It sees when you open it up, how long you read it, how far you got through it, when you click out of it. And the AI is constantly wow. customizing your newsletter to deliver you the most important stuff. It's insanity. I mean, the That's open incredible. rate on it is off the chain. It's a company that is called, fantastic, man. Uh, it's called Raza, R-A-S-A dot I-O. That is and it is the yeah people freak out about it because it just keeps getting better and better and better because I'll upload maybe 300 articles a month and it only picks out the top 10 for you I've got it I've got it on my screen right now uh, so it's johnspence.com if you scroll all the way down to the bottom you're going to see that in the rock bottom right hand corner subscribe to John's newsletter this is John Spence distilled you literally get his wisdom from that hour and a half of reading uh, and tailored to what you're personally interested in man that is phenomenal i'm i'm excited to sign up there myself and, and get that through john thank you so much for the opportunity to speak to you um i would love to hear more about what you're doing and keep in touch there as well and uh, i really appreciate the the level of of commitment that you have to entrepreneurs and to business owners helping them change their world um my huge gratitude to you from our listeners etc straight back to you and uh, i really um, i wish you all the very best for the future man I, I can't thank you enough for the time you've given it was my honor my true honor Thanks so much. Cheers. Hey, everyone. It's Walt, and thanks so much for listening to the episodes on the podcast. We really love bringing these interviews to you, and I hope you're getting a lot out of them. We've designed the podcast to really help and to engage with everybody out there, so you could help us by simply leaving us a comment or a review, subscribing on iTunes. Head over there now. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us. It helps more than you could possibly believe. Do that now, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.